Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. That's me. <laughs> That's you, Haley. We are back. I don't know if the listeners will know that we haven't recorded in a little while, but now we are coming back with a vengeance as there are some really interesting shows and movies that have been uh, popping up recently talking about some interesting topics, one of which we're doing today, which will be Apple TV's Severance. Yeah. So before we get into Severance, which uh, if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go watch all yeah. nine hours of it because it's great. And then come back because we're going to talk all about um, the workplace and uh, work, work-life work balance and the sort of mental health issues that can come up in sort of some, uh, let's say, uh, intense work structures is that a, a safe way to describe lumen <laughs> yeah or like futuristic mental health approaches there you go yeah yeah so we'll get into that after the break but first you know it uh the sort of bleakness of this hopefully very very far in the future or perhaps never realistic at all uh like workplace dynamic reminded me of sort of like, you know, lighter, softer days when we got to dream about doing all sorts of different dream jobs, you know, when we were kids and, you know, a teacher would ask you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And every kid has a has a different answer to that. So Haley, you know, do you feel like you had a specific kind of dream job answer to those questions as a kid? Yeah, definitely. And it changed. Okay. So I wanted to be a teacher, and then I wanted to be a, uh, an astronaut, a NASA scientist, Ooh. and then I wanted to be a marine biologist. But my senior year, I think it was my senior year in high school, I was talking to the college counselor, and she was like, kind of being like, you know, have you considered this? Because I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. I guess I'm going to do okay. business because mm. like my whole family's in business and we're just kind of a business-minded family. And she was like, well, have you ever considered being a therapist? And I was like, yeah, no, okay. Like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and I was like, I have no need to listen to anybody's problems all day long. And she was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's fine. And I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm the one eating crow now. Um, but yeah, I guess she was right. Um, she saw what was coming more oh, than I funny. did. And I was like super anti. I was like, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> yeah, so funny. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had some of the stereotypical ones like, oh, I want to be a professional athlete, you know, sort of actor, you know, actory stuff, yeah, even yeah. though I never like I was always too scared to try out for plays and stuff like it was one of those like secret dreams like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be cool if, mm -hmm. you know, got to be in movies and stuff. Yeah, I agree. And then as I got older and got like actual job experiences, which, you know, probably like many teenagers was just in like service industries. So I was, um, you know, a bus boy or a uh, uh, worked at a, you know, a fish department at a grocery store or I worked at a like little gelato ice cream shop, uh -huh. you know, so I was very like service oriented. But, you know, those experiences also taught me that. I don't want to be, ah, man, it's so, it's so funny because in some ways, like I am still very much in the service industry, right. but like, you know, it didn't feel like those things were like uh, fitting skills that I had. So it's like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to be in sales, especially yeah, any kind of sales and, and still like, like the idea of selling myself or trying to convince people to pay for something is just like the most uncomfortable thing so like i was very quickly like pushed away from anything in yeah. in that realm but you know probably similar to yourself in high school like started thinking about that stuff you know oddly enough i i did have like a, a curiosity about psychology with never uh -huh. without ever like specifically pursuing it like i had a 
subscription to psychology today as a oh, high so schooler, funny. which was probably weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I hardly even read it now. So I, you know, I started heading in that direction shortly thereafter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you knew like kind of from college age that this was the direction you were going to go. Yes. I think I can safely say that as soon as I was like freshman in, in college, I kind of had a sense of like, okay, this field, if not necessarily like what specifically I would do with it. I love it. That's incredible. Um, I think a lot of people actually like in, in our type of service, um, know pretty young that it's kind of what they want to do. I think the difference between like our service versus other service is kind of how the public views you. So like, I feel like, you know, busboys and unfortunately like nurses and front desk staff fall into the same kind of category Uh, and like firemen who have to like show up to like a crash or something like that. Um, Actually, they, the fireman falls into both categories, I think, but true. The public often will kind of talk down to those kinds of service providers, whereas I think... Right, because it's just like fulfill your role, do your task kind of thing. like you're here to give me my medicine, right? Like the nurses are seen as like the grunt work, which I think is horrible because nurses particularly are like the core of why medicine runs so smoothly. Oh my gosh. Whereas I think people like... In therapists, therapists are kind of seen as like a a knowledge base, right? Or like um, mm-hmm. sure, someone with power in some way, um, like professional power in some way, and so are kind of looked up to. I think, which sucks, but I think that's kind of a reality for kind of how the general public, obviously not everybody, but I think how the general public sees sees people in service differently. Yeah, it's it's really funny you say that because you know there's there's sort of a spectrum of of that sort of uh, perspective, right? Because then depending on what industry you go into, it's like, well, oh, what did you just went to school for this, and I'm just supposed to listen to you? <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like you know it can go in in different directions to, really based does. on sort of who you're working with or yeah, like yeah. you you've never been married for forty years, so how would right, you know exactly? What it's like? And yeah. it's like well. You're right. I don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, dream jobs change. And and I think you and I both would like hate the idea of doing what Mark and, and Heli and the rest of the macro data refinement crew had to do. So let's take a break and let's uh, let's talk about what their work life balance looked like. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Severance is an American science fiction psychological thriller streaming television series on Apple TV. It focuses on Mark, who leads a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal lives. When a mysterious colleague appears outside of work, it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs. So there is a, a whole lot of different directions that we're going to go with this show because it really introduces some some important topics. So Haley, I think we we have to start with what to me was like a good reminder of like what today's current like corporate work culture does and doesn't do for our mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we see the the macro data refinement team basically working for finger traps and waffle parties or melon parties and and these different sort of things that are supposed to what motivate them help them feel like valued by their employer all these different things and and unfortunately there's a lot of uh, of truth to our reality with you know the ways in which corporate culture is trying to like meet their employees mental health needs so you know, when you see them trying to get these different like little trinkets and, and prizes, like what's your reaction to that? You know, basically knowing how how closely it fits to our reality. Yeah. Well, I have lots of different thoughts about it. I have thoughts about like 
the lip service that is paid to work-life balance yes. in our world. And yep. then I also have thoughts about like the reinforcement for them. Um, I'll do the reinforcement for them first because it's a small thought and then we can move on. But yeah, I was kind of sitting there being like, oh, this stuff is like awful and stupid. And then I was like, well, actually, if all you know, and I was going to say day in and day out, but if all you know all the time because they never get day out. Yes, 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Experience. Yep. Is shades of blue and occasionally a splash of an orangish brown and sitting in front of a computer just sorting numbers into a bin. Like a jazz party with flashing lights and maracas like (laughs) is going to be reinforcing and is going to be like worth aiming towards, right? Like a moment of joy and a moment of diversion. So I do think Mm -hmm. that like those things would become more reinforcing in that situation, right? Because we as humans need value. And if there's nothing to give value, you're really going to cling to like small moments of value. So like if I continue to do this, I will get X or it will be meaningful in some way. That being said, I think the narrative that it has for like our work life balance lip service in our world is that like the same kind of stuff happens in, I was going to say corporate culture, but it happened for me in, in a grad school filled with psychologists where the narrative is obviously like, have a work-life balance and take care of yourself. Also, like, I don't care that you're grieving this thing or have this other thing. You need a paper that's due tomorrow. There was a professor who told us if you're in somebody's wedding during finals, like if you're important enough to them, they'll reschedule their wedding around you. Wow. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) But like, these are the like sort of narratives that we have, which is like, oh my gosh, yes, like totally take care of yourself as long as it doesn't interfere with work. And I think it's capitalism wins, right? Like, as long as we don't have to give you time off or as long as you are meeting the standards that we set, like, yeah, totally take care of yourself. Now, I do think that like those things are changing both because the laws are changing, but also more and more companies are being really employee centered, but it's, it's systems that start that way. It's hard to change systems that didn't start that way. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, I I really like what you said because I think it's it's interesting in thinking about uh, an organization that essentially, because they're working with severed people, mm-hmm. they don't have to give <laughs> like benefits or things that would impact the person outside of work. No. Right. So, you know, Although like, I bet they would still give them vacation, right? Because if they need a week to go away, they right, I guess the work. Audi could could take yeah. vacation. That's never explicitly stated, but I'm sure that was the case. Yeah. Well, like um, Mark takes a sick day and he like doesn't appear right. at work, but he goes and visits the the guy that ends up dying. Pete. Pete. Yeah. So he goes and visits Pete on his quote unquote sick day. And the other three noticed that he wasn't there, quote unquote, yesterday. So I guess they could take sick days and vacation days, but the innie doesn't get to decide that. <laughs> well, right. So the only the only thing they have to do is to, you know, provide these little small motivators for the innies. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I think the the sort of weirdness of a waffle party or a, particularly that waffle party. Yeah, yeah. Not that waffle party. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah, oh my gosh, a whole separate thing. But it's it's interesting, you know, because I think you're right that more and more, you know, larger corporate setups are trying to acknowledge the sort of like outside lives. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's with like different benefits or wellness options or whether it's just like, yeah, you can take mental health days or, yeah, of course, it's OK to not feel OK and, and take time for yourself. But as as you identify, it's like but then very frequently, like there's a limit to that if the like productivity is not being met. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting 
in thinking about the sort of how the corporate culture responds to this. And then the other side of that equation is how like we as the workers, or in this case, Mark and, and um, Heli and Irv and, and Dylan are sort of signing up to some degree, knowing that they are submitting some part of themselves to this culture. And another thing is that the way that we talk about work-life balance being this like, sure, have work-life balance as long as like when you're at work, you're only focused on work. That's exactly kind of what severance is, right? Is that it's like when you're at work, you're only focused on work. And when you're at home, you're only focused at home. But what's interesting about that is that's actually not work-life balance. That's work 100% and home life 100%. There's nothing balanced about it. It's just two separate entities. And and I think that it's important for us to remember, like when we're looking at work-life balance for ourselves, that it's not only one thing or only another thing because we can't sever those parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But finding a way to allow both to exist in balance throughout the day. And that likely means turning work off at a certain, like literally turning like your computer off or things like that at a certain time of day. Yep. But remembering that those thoughts are going to bleed into each other. The feelings are going to bleed into each other. Um, and sometimes I kind of like that when I've had like a really good weekend, sometimes it makes my Monday easier and I wouldn't want to give that up. Yeah, this is a great point um, that, you know, obviously work can be stressful um, and, and cause problems. Uh-huh. But it also does serve very specific purposes. You know, I talk with people I work with about how it serves, you know, sometimes it just helps you get out of bed. Uh But obviously, you know, we look at Mark as someone who's pretty socially isolated. And, you know, even if his relationships with his coworker at Lumen, coworkers at Lumen are uh, superficial, let's say, it's still in many ways like unique social interaction that he's definitely not getting outside of work. Obviously, we have, you know, the pay that is supporting whatever lifestyle each of these individuals, the Audis, are able to able to have for themselves. And, you know, I guess the one thing that's really missing from from Lumen is just this complete absence of any meaning in the work, right? Um, and obviously, mm-hmm. not everyone is lucky enough to be doing work that gives them that sense of meaning or purpose. But... Yeah. Um, you obviously that is possible in some degrees, and I wonder if because I think one of the lines that Mark says is like the, our work is is mysterious and important, and yeah. it's like that's just enough information to be uh, invigorating, annoying, right? That's like okay, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Because any more information, even if they were lying to them, right? Even if they were saying like you know this data is helping us cure climate change like they don't give them anything that you know helps ground them in some sense of a larger value of those tasks that they're completing yeah value and purpose yeah and any ability that people have can that to be able to find that in their in their work or if not in their work becomes extra important to find where that value can come from outside of work you know it becomes a sort of instructive relationship yeah mark doesn't have any friends outside of work but at work right he has a best friend, right? He has yeah, Katie. Yeah. And so like how horrible for his Audi to be missing a close intimate relationship with a, another person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is kind of where we transition into the mindset of someone who goes into this mm-hmm. setup, right? Where, yeah. cause you know, we, I think this happens in our world too, where it's like, sometimes you just got to take a job, right? It's like, here's a job, it pays, like it might be crazy hours, but I need the money or, you know, whatever the circumstances might be, you know, each of these individuals have their own reasons and and they're individually different from each other to sign up for this procedure severance, Mm -hmm. but then to continue with it, not knowing the degree to which their severed self, their any is coping with that work experience. Well, yeah. And also it's not totally clear whether the messages from the innies actually get sent to the outies. We think that they do because of the interaction with Heli, but then later we find out like, oh, 
she might actually have been an exception because of Mm -hmm. the suicide attempt and then the fact that like Helena is actually the face of Severance, right? So of course she's going to deny wanting to leave. But it also kind of feels like Pete probably made some attempts to get out and they just weren't accepted. And it almost feels like Pete's Audi would have accepted it because ultimately when he's like reintegrated, he's happy being reintegrated. Well, right. He's happy to be out, but obviously it has all these other sort of side effects and it has medical side effects. Yeah. Cause it's like not done appropriately. Yeah. 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 So, you know, thinking about the Audis, right. Because I think this is the sort of fascinating part about like the conception of this show, which is if you could separate yourself Mm -hmm. from your work experience and all you know is that like you sort of become unconscious (laughs) as you get in the elevator and then you're conscious, you will become reconscious as you're leaving work and your whole, uh, for the Audis, your whole life is just non-work is whatever your outside work existence is like we can understand if it's sort of advertised the right way sort of why people would be attracted to that especially people yeah, like that you know, sounds and, dope <laughs> right right exactly you know because for uh, a, a certain percentage of the population they have no desire to experience their work day mm-hmm. so the idea of being able to do that and just sort of exist as the sort of outside non-working person, we can see how that would be attractive. But then the the dilemma comes in with, well, okay, this other consciousness that you're creating, I don't even know if that's the right way to describe it, is having a separate experience from you. Like to what degree are you responsible for their, I don't, enjoyment, their, stability their satisfaction right is it just sort of something that we can sort of carve off of ourselves and it sort of doesn't matter what happens to them and i guess this is like sort of the ethical moral piece of it right because we know that these people when they start their work life appear to be suffering in one degree or another yeah i don't know that they appear to be suffering until heli shows up okay well we know pd was was suffering Yes, but the other three, like, before we know about Petey and before we meet Heli, are like, la-da-da-da-da, like, he must be sick today. Sort of hey, I'm fine. about to get yeah. my reward, right? Like, they're kind of accepting of it. We don't sure. get enough That's insight fair. into how they truly feel about it. Right. Because it really kind of feels like when Heli shows up and starts questioning things and then this book shows up and they start reading it, that's when they start to kind of question. Yeah, that's fair. But that being said, I think that the... Audis are they're aware that they are going to work so like in the first dinner where they don't have food right like mark is being asked questions and he's literally just like i don't know like i don't know what we do there i don't you know and i don't know that a person could psychologically handle that very well Mm. especially since the side of him that has to handle it is the side that he actually wants to turn off because it's the side that remembers his wife. So he's turning off thoughts of her eight hours a day, but it's not the eight hours that he remembers. Right. So like that feels like a weird choice for me of like, yeah, I no longer want to grieve my wife. Also, I don't want to remember the hours where I'm not grieving her. Yeah. You know, like that almost feels like a quote unquote humane choice for his any. However, that being said, there's nothing humane about having to be somebody who lives literally every moment of every day in this one environment doing very limited things and not even seeing the sun. Yeah. I don't really know where I was going with that, but I think like it's just interesting to me that the way it's presented is like, oh, they can just switch off like their grief. And it's like, no, the one making the decisions grief doesn't get switched off. Yep. So you're giving your body a break, right? Because I guess your body doesn't have to be grieving all day long because you aren't thinking about it all day long, but also like 
what you're aware of is aware of your grief. I didn't think of that until yeah. now, and it's why I don't have a full thought about it. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's trippy, right? Because, you know, and it has this, this reminds me of like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where you can uh, sort of delete memories, right? Oh. Or there's like cloning movies, right? We've talked about um, one of them. It's like, to what extent, and this is kind of connects to your sort of idea of consent uh, that we talked about a little bit before we started recording, which is, mm-hmm. right, to what to what degree do you have uh, a responsibility for the experience of your any right is it is it abusive is it is it self harm you know because i think that especially with heli at the in the last episode we see heli's father describe what heli's any did to her and it's mm-hmm. such a mind trip to hear them describe it that way as if it's another person doing it to her and not her suffering and doing it to herself. Yeah. That is, it just sort of made me question sort of like, again, I guess it's like the ethical moral thing of, is it okay to sort of sever a part of yourself and let it have its own experience, even if that experience is a suffering one? So, and there's maybe there's no if, answer to that question. <laughs> so, I mean, I have a, a thought about it, which is like, is it sure. okay to like sever a part of yourself? Sure. Right. Is That's it okay to, right? to, okay. So the question comes in with consent. So consent is where at all times you are choosing to be in a situation doing a thing. And at any time that you do not want to do it, you are allowed to remove yourself from that situation and no longer engage in it. That is what consent is. Consent is not allowed in severance because only 50% of the existence is able to determine engagement in the process. And it's the Audi side right? And so it's yep. not true consent. So in the beginning where it's like, I fully and wholeheartedly consent to this Oh like, yeah, the, the message they record, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they do consent to the surgery. However, yep. they don't consent, Heli does not consent to the process. She explicitly right. says, I'm done to the point of like literally wanting to be done with it, yep. like all of it. And so I think that's not okay, right? Like it's not okay to like, like let's say somebody had multiple personalities mm-hmm. and if I was seeing a person in therapy and, and a different personality came out and said, I do not want to be in this room, ethically and legally, I would have to say, there's the door, right? Now, yeah. granted, yep. there are certain situations where like medically someone's consent has been removed or they're imprisoned or something like right, that. Of course. Yep. However, like let's say they're trying to portray that this is a fully consenting process, right? Yeah. So if if another personality came out and said, I don't want to be here, I would be like, there's the door. Like feel free to leave. When the other personality comes back, they can come see me. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening here is you're having one person make all of the choices for a continued process. I think where it gets a little bit more tricky is when it's severance more like the senator's wife. So the woman who it appears, they don't say it explicitly, but it appears she severs herself only for childbirth. Yes. In which case it's like, okay, well, that part of yourself would be going through childbirth anyway. So what is the like ethical and legal, or let's not talk legal because there's no way to discuss <laughs> it now, but what is the ethical responsibility to have to experience childbirth, right? Because then we can fall into like, well, do yeah. you have to experience all of childbirth? Are you allowed to take pain meds? Are you allowed to... Mm be knocked out? Are you allowed to, right? Because there's a lot of people who can be put under during a process of childbirth, you know? So like how, who are we to say? But in the case of like the, the people working at Lumen, that's their entire existence that they would not have had otherwise, 
right? Like a woman giving birth yes. would have given birth regardless. Mm-hmm. But the like work situation, literally their entire experience is working. They don't even get to sleep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's my soapbox yep. about it. <laughs> no, I know. Well, it's 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 really it's tough to wrap your head around because you, you you said we can't really get into legal. And of course it's like, well, we don't know how they would kind of resolve this. But but I think from a legal standpoint, it is interesting in the sense of if in this alternative future or or, or present, as we don't know technically, it might technically be happening uh in the quote unquote present day, right? We we saw something that uh suggested that Mark's license is around the year 2020. Yeah. So if like legally this becomes this became something that was supported, right? What to what degree would the innies have rights? So I think if this was supported, right. they wouldn't. Because if the innies did have, let's say, autonomy to whatever degree that would be possible, then like they yeah, and you couldn't refuse the innies like decision to leave work. So at that point, would it become akin to like a parent neglecting their child, right? Or uh, spousal abuse, these sorts of things that are analogous to like you have a relationship with this person, but you are mistreating them in whatever way it would be sort of determined it would sort of fit in the categories of that sort of mistreatment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of like the political argument that's happening in the yeah, real world yeah, as we, we see this. more and more of that background piece, yep. Yeah, because in today's world, I like wonder if a, a father doesn't know that he has a child, can he be ch- – or like knows that he has a child, but like it lives – it has always lived in another state and he has no contact with it. Can he be held accountable for child abuse and neglect? Because that kind of feels the same here, which is like, Mm. well, I mean, I know that they're in there, but I know nothing about their experience there. Right, right. And then it also gets down to, are they actually getting the messages, right? Like, are they actually getting the requests to leave? Well, right. And that feels like sort of the central problem in many ways that this Lumen as an industry is so uh, secretive. You know, it would be one thing if you could communicate with your any openly and freely if you could have some you know record or recording of what their experience was so you could see oh oh is that what my any's doing oh good for them you know i think that it's would so be so funny though because that's just real life <laughs> right like well what you're ba- basically the whole point of severance is so that each part does not know about the to other have part. no knowledge of it yeah yeah i guess that's true Cause it's like, if you're, I guess, yeah. well, I was going to say for me, it's like the information would be available, but it's not sort of like automatically provided. Does that make oh, yeah. like sense? Almost like, like, yeah, you get report cards from, from your kid's school, but you're not there with yeah. them. Um, okay. Yeah. The whole day. Well, who then gets to determine when you get that information or not? Sure. Right. Well, I would imagine. <laughs> This is why I want to be on a think tank. <laughs> That's actually my dream job. Uh, yeah, it's just such an interesting thing because it's it's such so hypothetical. But like, because if I'm an innie, I want my Audi to know every single day that I'm okay. <laughs> right, that I'm accepting of the conditions yeah. and that, you know, everything's good in here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> See, and I think like, okay, so first of all, a plot hole, a psychological plot hole. <laughs> sure. I don't think we as humans can even conceptualize the concept of just not knowing. Like the separation of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I don't think we could ever. Uh, I think, okay. Whew, let me start over. I don't think <laughs> we as humans can conceptualize being alive and awake for a whole day and not having any awareness of it. And I know I've shared this phrase on this podcast before. I also know that my patients are sick and tired of me saying this phrase. Our brain does not like gaps in information. Our brains Mm. do not like gaps of information. And what our brain does 
is it either seeks out the information or it fills it in itself. And that's a lot of times where anxiety comes in is where we'll be like, oh my gosh, what if this turns out badly? How is it going to turn out? Well, I don't know how it's going to turn out. So then our brain goes, well, let me tell you the million and one ways that this can turn out badly, right? So it fills in the gap of information. So I find it very hard to believe that A, we can concept, we, people can conceptualize like, I'm going to be alive and working and doing all day long and just not know what's happening. And secondly, I think people like control far too much. Like, I don't think people would like that concept of like, you mean I'm going to spend eight hours of my day and have zero idea what I'm doing? I think people's minds would immediately jump to, am I killing people? Am I... Mm you know, like doing something bad, and, right? Like I, I don't think people would be like, well, I'm probably just sitting in front of a computer sorting numbers, <laughs> right? Like I do, don't so think do you have any theories about, about what the numbers are about? Because I think obviously we don't have any further insight at this point. Well, I think it has something to do with his wife. So his, his wife is on like the quote unquote testing floor. Sure. And so I think it has something to do with like there's giving them different emotional experiences or something mm. like that. I don't know. Like I think they are sending data to the quote unquote testing floor. What it means, I don't know. Yeah, but like really, I'm more curious about like what are the baby goats for? The baby goats. Well, right. And and you know, if uh if Mark's wife is still alive, or is that She's like a weird clone of her any and that's not really her it's it's no she's totally alive that's like the last line of the show no i know well right it obviously but but she's not outside of the building so is that oh no yeah she's on a testing yeah so that's just her body is stuck in any world is that what way how we're conceiving of that yes i think so well i think she goes between off and any world I don't think she, um, and I think that's also why she's like kind of less dynamic is because the reason why they're all more dynamic is they live a really dynamic life and then they come to work. Mm -hmm. And so they, even though they can't remember that, like your body remembers your body, like the, you can't change the cortisol levels or the serotonin levels, or like you can't change those things. Even if you don't have the thoughts or the memories, your body body knows right so if you are like late for work and like sprinting into work you're not just going to come down the elevator and be like cool now i'm like perfectly in shape you know like i'm i'm not out of breath at all um and so you would spend the whole day as somebody who sprinted into work even though you have no memory of that um and so i think for his wife i've got a feeling that like this quote unquote testing floor they're all kind of like kept in like sleep pods and so like when Mm. she's awake she's less dynamic because she's not living a dynamic life outside yeah (laughs) to me i think that dynamic experience is something that is also awakened over the course of the series right as you mentioned before for the most part mark and dylan and irv are just sort of accepting of the conditions that they're working in it's not until Mm -hmm. heli comes in and sort of is immediately questioning and immediately resisting the structure that they're in that they're like oh well sure let's let this yeah let's go meet this other team or let's go explore this other room or hey what are the goats going what's going on in here in the goats room and Similarly to, you know, when people are, let's say, in a, a grieving state or a depressed state or a, you know, a post-traumatic state and the sort of ability to see what is possible beyond the intensity of that emotional experience, you know, it was it was really cool for me to see how we got to see more and more of the innies personality, right? Even though they're innies and even though they only know work stuff starts mm-hmm. to leak out about you know their sense of humor little smiles uh relationships are capable of building and that to me felt like a really powerful sort of analogy of 
you know, even when under extreme circumstances, you know, sometimes all it takes is sort of like a glimmer of someone, I guess, in a way, like giving you permission to resist or giving you permission to sort of fight back against a condition that you're dealing with, that then, you know, you can kind of start to emerge from that, you know, that acceptance that maybe is not the best thing for you. Does that that make sense? Yeah, I think what it comes down to is people letting you know that you can question. Yes, well said. Yes. So I think that happens a lot in therapy, which Mm -hmm. is someone will come in to me and they'll say something like, oh, well, I have to go to work. And I'll say, why? Yeah. Why do you have to go to work? And it's like, oh, well, I have to make money. Okay, well, why do you have to make money? Well, because I want to pay for my house. Okay, so you go to work in order to have financial means to have a place to live. Yeah. Okay, is that worth it to you? Right? And so we like start questioning Mm -hmm. what's important about doing that. Is that the choice you want to continue to make? What's important about making a different choice if you make a different choice? And I think that's kind of what happens is – Heli just comes in spitball and fire questioning everything, which I think is directly related to her role outside of Severance, Mm -hmm. outside of Lumen. Because I like, basically my note is um, cognitive dissonance. The greater the dissonance, the greater the desire to shut one of those voices off. And the way that Heli comes in just like fireball really makes it seem like her natural reaction wants to fight this process. Like her natural reaction is like, absolutely not. Which means that like inside the whole person of Heli Helena, those thoughts exist, mm-hmm. right? That experience exists. The way it's written is like, oh no, it only exists in Heli. Well, Heli is Helena. Like they're not right. separate people. They're just separate experiences from the same person. And In acceptance and commitment therapy, we have a premise that you as yourself are context for your experience. And I think that that's a huge piece here of you kind of said we start to like see their personalities as Heli comes in. And I think what it is, is yeah, like they're still themselves. They, yes. So like they are going to naturally think the same things are funny. They are naturally going to have a tendency to engage in an introverted or or an extroverted way. They are naturally going to be more driven by reward systems versus not. They're just not going to have the words to attach to that or Mm -hmm. the, the explicit memories to attach to that. But their body and their brain can't unremember it um in its like basically in the like coding of the data right yeah yeah and and just real quick for our audience who may not necessarily know the term cognitive dissonance you know that's a, a sort of way for us to describe what people sometimes experience when they're sort of holding two conflicting beliefs or values or attitudes about something right so it's like i need this job but I also hate this job. Or maybe that's not even the right example. Well, yeah, I think that's a good example. Okay, right. Um, Because then you either have to give yourself a reason why you continue to go or Mm -hmm. you get super hyper-focused on why the job sucks. Um, So I think that's a good example. You you kind of, it's hard for people to hold Well, right, exactly. And you described sort of uh, working with people in these sorts of situations. And I've, I've worked with a lot of people in, corporate America, let's say, and, you know, the number of times uh, where people are looking uh, for someone to tell them or to give them permission to quit, um, you know, where it's like, what do you think, right? So, um, so as a therapist, you know, if someone is looking for that answer or looking for that permission, you sort of hinted at that, you, you may introduce the, the ability for them to question why or to question what else is out there for them. But if they if someone was to say, you know, do you think I should quit this job? How does a, how do you as a therapist answer that question? Do you think you should quit this job? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm that annoying therapist. Who will say it. Probably very frustrating for patients who, who get that answer. But but that's, you know, it's 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 we don't necessarily take that role of 
here's what I would do or here's advice for you in this situation, even if that's what yeah. they're looking for. Well, and also, I don't know if they should quit. I'm right, not sure, them, totally fair. Right? Yep. Which is in the same way that it's like where like even if I were thinking of my innie as a separate person, I'd be like, if they want to leave, they should be allowed to leave. <laughs> but then it also gets a little bit tricky of like, if you are seeing them as a separate person, what does that mean for when their choices affect your life? As opposed to like when somebody's choices don't affect your life, mm-hmm. right? It's easy to be like, I don't know. It's not my life. You decide. Um, I'm also a really snarky therapist. Luckily, I have really good <laughs> rapport with my patients. Um, so I'll be like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> but yeah, like I think that's where it kind of gets tricky is like, are you seeing them A, as real, B, as part of yourself or C, as a different person? And how does that change the way that you view your choices around them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I'm, I'm sort of imagining if the innies did have access to a therapist or career counselor, sort of what that dynamic would be like, you know, where clearly, at least, especially in Helly's case, like you would, you would hear a lot of resentment, but it's like towards themselves. So it's just such a fascinating sort of thing to imagine like what those conversations would sound like. Okay. I have a a question for you. Great. So let's say that in the future, severance has been legalized and it's a normal process and it's like a thing that people do. Sure. You are now the therapist for an any. Okay. How do you handle that? Well, you know, I think in, in many ways, Oh man, so that's such an interesting question. So, well, I'll just sort of to to further illustrate the hypothetical. Would I also be the therapist for the Audi? No. Okay, so I only get to talk to the innie. I don't get any interaction with the Audi. Yeah, that's a conflict of interest. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that's fair. That's like seeing it's like seeing married people separately. It's not allowed. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, so I think you know you'd want to get as much alignment on the innies goals as possible, recognizing the situation that they're in, right? That if uh-huh. in the case of this show, they don't actually have a choice as to whether or not they have to continue doing their job, then it's okay. How do we find control or, or some degree of acceptance or some degree of autonomy within this existence? So I think that's 100% the take that I would have, which is like, yeah, it sucks. And yep. you're here. Yep. Like, what what is in your control and how, how do you want to handle it? Yep. So do you want to apply to be released every single day? Do you want to stop applying to be released? Do you want to work towards these reward systems? Do you want to create relationships with the people in your department Mm. or ultimately between departments and repeatedly being like, yeah, this totally sucks. And it's a circumstance out of your control, which is the same approach I take with my patients who have chronic medical conditions. Yeah. It sucks that you have diabetes. Mm -hmm. Can't change it. What can you control? Well, how do you want to react to it? Yeah, I think that's the same mm-hmm. approach that I would take. I God, I hope our world never gets to a place where we're fine with I stuff know, like this. But it, but it's, who knows? Yeah, man. it's so interesting because you know the the conflict resolution part of me would want to work with both <laughs> the any and the Audi because I just think it's so interesting. Like this idea that you're split in two, you're the same person. There is literal interpersonal conflict intrapersonal conflict i don't know what that would qualify as but but sort of wanting both sides of the person to find some degree of of contentment or or agreeance on how that situation is working you know because realistically you know we do work with people who have that sort of like of two minds like i you know whether it's a job or whether it's like a relationship they go back and forth with where it's like, Mm -hmm. sometimes I really love this person. Sometimes I want to break up with them. Sometimes I do break up with them and Mm -hmm. how to kind of resolve those, those competing desires that people inevitably have. So 
I get that when it's one person again, like one consciousness against itself. Mm-hmm. However, you said like I would want them to like work through it and like come to some kind of contentment. The Audi is perfectly content, right? They're like, I, I'm good. Yeah, like, I don't. Yeah, want I guess to. that's that's where the. Yeah. So that's where the struggle comes. Like, I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't force one half of a couple to want to talk something out Mm -hmm. in the same way. You can't force one half of a severance patient to want to talk it out. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess what I kind of hear you saying is like, I want the Audi to be more compassionate towards the innie, which I agree with. Well, but like, so, so that's so interesting. So, cause if, if I, I don't do this myself, but I've worked with therapists who do like inner child work. Right. And it's like, let's talk to that version of yourself. And you're not trying to create multiple personalities. You're trying to tap into those memories or those experiences and to let that part of you that had those experiences have a voice. And then oftentimes what happens in that work is, the inner child speaks, you know, I want this, I feel that. And the adult person, you know, resists or fights back or, or criticizes or because that's like, that's the adult that has gone through lots of other experiences or has job responsibilities or has whatever. And that, that inner conflict is something that people very much experience even without severance surgery. Yeah, but that's when the person coming in is consenting to have treatment where of these course, conversations of are brought up, right? Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the tough thing. But again, you know what I keep going back to is that idea that I had at the beginning, which is like the person who gets to have consent is the one that's still suffering, which is like is still uh, dealing like with Mark's the, case, the emotions mean? they're trying to get rid of. Yeah. In, in, in yep. Mark's case, we don't know the other people's uh, reasons really. But like, External Audi Mark is so sick of his grief that he wants to just have a break from it, even if he's not aware that he has a break from it. Psychologically, my brain is like, whoa. But then like, I'm also kind of like, isn't this just kind of a plot hole a little bit? (laughs) Mm, Interesting. And also like, then it leads to, is it compassion, right? Like, is he being like- I just want to give myself a break some of the time, even if I have to continue remembering. Right. Okay. So exactly. So now you're a therapist in the future. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm out. <laughs> a, a patient, <laughs> the far off weird alternative future where this is possible. And a patient tells you, I'm considering severance. Let's just say it's Mark as an example. Yeah. I've been through this. I'm suffering. I don't want to feel this anymore, or I don't want to feel this as much as I can not feel this or think about this anymore. Mm-hmm. What's your sort of line of questioning? Or obviously, you know, as therapists, we, you know, self-determination and support and all these different things. But what would you want that person to consider as part of this decision process? That they don't get to experience not experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he doesn't yeah. experience not having right. his grief. Um, so so the, this relief that you're seeking, you don't actually get. Yeah. Which, as I say it, I'm like, I've had this exact conversation within the context yep. of suicidality, right? Which is... Sure. Or like like other sort of uh, behaviors that are seen yeah. as escape, right? Yeah. With With severance, I would be like, well, obviously what I would go to is like, what's the value? what's important to you about doing this process? And if they were like, I don't want to feel this way, I would be like, okay, but you won't know what it's like to not feel this way. You will continue to feel this way all the time. Yeah. Obviously thinking that like I would be talking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they choose which part gets severed. So like the, the person mm-hmm. with the consciousness that I'm talking to now remains the Audi. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would be like, you like, if you decide to do it, I am, behind you. Of I don't course. know that I am, but now I'm like, I'm like, oh, because if I think about it in terms of like suicide, I'm not behind someone choosing that, but right. Of course. But I think 
if I, I would say like, if you're going to choose it in terms of severance, that is your prerogative. It is legal according to our current world. And so if you choose it, you get to choose that. All I want to know is that you are A, informed and B, that it's valuable to you and meaningful to you to choose this. And if it was what you said, um, was that like, I'm tired of feeling this way, I would be like, okay, but you're going to keep feeling this way. Yep. And if anything, you you maybe get even less of a break as as you do currently, right? And there's in the sense of, you know, if you were conscious about work, at least you have this sort of active distraction, but instead you just sort of blink and then you're back out of the office still with these thoughts and feelings following right behind you. I had a patient say to me literally today, the only reason I got out of bed was because I had a job to do. Mm. Yep. And in my mind, and I wasn't even thinking about severance, in my mind, I went like, well, sometimes the stuff we quote unquote have to do is the stuff that saves us. So yeah, like I, I would really want to talk to the person about like, you need to know, like, it's nice to think like, oh, I can just switch that part of me off. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to experience that side of you being switched off. That being said, like, I do kind of feel like there's, so as somebody who works with people with chronic medical conditions, I'm kind of like, imagine being able to turn off the moments of medical trauma, which like, if you're going to have to go through a surgery anyway, and you're going to have to live with the effects of the medical trauma, why do you have to also have the memories of it? But then that gets into like an ethical, moral thing, and I don't stand on either side firmly. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. And obviously this is like a weird hypothetical, but I think we're also pointing out all the sort of ways in which it's not hypothetical in which people are very much dealing with these issues or these questions of, you know, how do I recover from this loss? How do I accept a job or circumstances because I need the money? And, you know, these are all questions that people that we work with deal with all the time. So as a show, and we're going to talk about sort of how, how real it is and how entertaining it is, but but I have to say it's really thought-provoking, which I always appreciate yeah. as, as uh, entertainment when it yeah. does sort of go into mental health areas. Yeah. Well, and especially like we've been talking for nearly an hour now and we haven't even like covered half of the things we said we would cover, which just tells you like how thought-provoking it really is. That's right. Okay. On a scale... From one to five baby goats, (laughs) (laughs) how accurate do you feel like severance was in terms of like psychology and mental health? So setting aside, and it's it's so hard because severance is is not real. (laughs) I almost want to like separate the obvious irreality of the surgery and try to deal with how do they present these people emotionally as dealing with the realities that they are in? Um, so in, in in one sense, I think the depiction of like emotional response and, and, and grief, all those things are very well represented. We see Mark, you know, where we're introduced to him is, is, is in tears, you know, before he goes into office, uh-huh. into the office, something that, a lot of people I've worked with, like that is a very familiar experience, just sort of like, how do I show up and do these tasks with the emotional weight that I'm carrying? Yeah. So I thought that they nailed a lot of that stuff. And obviously, you know, Heli's experience of, you know, being in a uh, a situation that you just don't want to be in and resisting that and some of the uh, emotional impact of that, I thought was really well done. That being said, severance isn't real, thank goodness. So I have to find like a middle ground where like the reality that they grounded themselves in, I thought was really well represented. So I'm going to call that like a 3.4. Man, you're always so much kinder than I am. (laughs) Well, because I mean, like obviously it's not 
real. (laughs) But I just thought the performances and the writing, a lot of it was really well done. Uh And I wanted to reward that because I think the the big picture of the sort of you know work life balance and and coping with with life and wanting to separate ourselves from its most painful experiences yeah. is something that's very relatable and I thought was very well done yeah. so that's that's why I gave it the score that yeah. I did I the reason I said like what I said was because I feel as though they're not distressed enough on either side right mm. like I feel sure. like there should be that's much fair. more confusion and questioning and anger and resentment and like there's an awful lot of acceptance where I don't think we would normally see acceptance. I also feel Mm. like they would go rogue so more often because they'd get so bored. Like they're still full dynamic humans who are not being given enough dynamic feedback Yeah, and they never get a break from that repetitiveness and i think that would they would kind of go a little bit bonkers <laughs> and go rogue way more often so yeah but one scene that i thought was portrayed really really well was when harmony gets fired and she like goes and rips up her like shrine because i think that's how it feels when you are betrayed by your belief system that oh yeah distraught. yeah but we didn't even get into that well, she's she's a yeah the she's a whole other character. She, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So so we might we might get to her maybe maybe in a separate special thing. But if we don't, Haley, on a scale of one to five, I don't want to do waffle parties. What was the other party they had? Like the disco music party. Yeah, music party. Yeah, I really liked that because it was so creepy and weird, um, but not quite as creepy as dylan's waffle party yeah Yeah. she chose defiant jazz which i thought was a really clever that's great well because if if we're being honest like you know that sort of like pizza party thing is totally a thing that happens in corporate corporate culture so that's why i sort of i've enjoyed that hundred percent there's cake in the break room it's like an office for exactly yeah yeah hundred percent yep yeah yeah somebody donated donuts yeah whatever it is yeah how entertaining did you find Severance on a scale of uh, one to five Defiant Jazz music parties? <laughs> on a scale from one to five Defiant Jazz records, I have two answers. Okay. So my personal answer is like a 3.5. However, I binged it because I before... Okay. This weekend, I hadn't watched any of the episodes, and so I watched them all in a row over the course of two days, which is a lot of severance. (laughs) And I think the plot is not exciting enough to binge, and there's like not enough going on to like spend nine hours like in a row watching it, and it makes it kind of like mind-numbing a little bit, which I think is kind of a parallel for probably how the people in Lumen feel. However, I think if I had watched it as it came out, so week by week, so like one hour at a time for nine weeks, I think it would be like a four to like a 4.3 for me. Oh, yeah. Because I like it. Like it's weird and there's not much going on and it was a little bit boring the way that I watched it. But I think like the intrigue of week to week would have been enticing. Whereas I didn't have to deal with the intrigue because it was always like I was always getting the next answer. Yeah, I'm with you. I I, yeah, I would probably give the first like first four to six episodes. Uh, I'm just being fully honest. And, and this is not that unusual for me but i was falling asleep mm-hmm. <laughs> watching some of the episodes that were just sort of dragging on but man the last three i guess that was like seven eight nine i was riveted and i was so mad that they ended the season where they did and now we have to wait probably like another year to get any more of the show yeah. but imagine feeling that every week. but i'm i'm locked in I'm i'm excited and i can't see what happens next yeah yeah so what i did notice was at the end of every single episode there was a cliffhanger Every single episode. But the way that you and I watched it, we went from like 
cliffhanger into exactly what happens next, which leads the cliffhanger yep. to not be very enticing. And what you're talking yeah, that's about fair. is that yep. like we end on a cliffhanger and we're like, ah, what happens next? And that's kind of what's exciting about it. Yep. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think if I had watched it as it was intended to be watched, I would have had a much higher rating. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good. That's instructive for us to, um, to kind of continue to, to catch up on things as people are suggesting them to us. So, We're just not good at that. so thank you everyone, uh, for listening to today's episode, please, you know, submit more, uh, suggestions. We have some exciting things we're looking forward to cover up in the coming weeks. you can find us in all your different social media channels at pop psych one zero one. Um, and yeah, Anything else? No, I think that's it. I think that's the first time you've ever said 101. <laughs> well, you know, just to clarify for everyone yeah. that it's... <laughs> very clear. Very clear. Thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.